Welcome to the Beauty Aside podcast. I'm Gentry Quinn. I dropped out of school at the age of 17, got my GED, and still managed to build multiple businesses and a beauty line from the ground up. Beauty Aside, each week we'll be talking with entrepreneurs and learning what it takes to achieve balance and what it really means to follow your dreams. Welcome to the Beauty Side Podcast. I'm Gentry, and thanks for joining us on this very special edition of More Beautiful Together. I'm here with my partner, Alex. As most of you know, I created my beauty brand many years ago, but it wasn't until I met my partner, Alex, that we merged our concepts and created Katone Clothing and Beauty Bar. Although I had made many products before in my kitchen, I had my aesthetics license, etc. I did not create my actual makeup line until we met. Uh, about how long was it ago? Oh. 2015. Oh, ends five of, years end, ago. The end of 2015. Yeah. Welcome, Alex, by the way. Hello. So uh, there's a <laughs> short version. Um, so, you know, we're not here on these uh, episodes to necessarily motivate you. We're just here together to kind of help you understand what it really takes to do the jobs that we do, if that interests you. Um, And also kind of clear up some misnomers about small businesses, give you a little advice, and hopefully let you learn from our mistakes. That's very important. Learn from other people's mistakes. That's my number one tip of the day. So a couple of things that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about how much, uh, or excuse me, we're going to be talking about the hardest part of having a brick and mortar business, you know, versus online, how much it actually takes to start a business, if you're interested in that, and also the difference between retail and wholesale. If you are retailing a product versus you are trying to get your product into a retail store, such as we've had for the past eight years between the both of us. So, I'm going to open the floor really to Alex because we're talking about how much does it take to start a business. That's a very loaded, wide question. You can't really answer that for everyone. So how would you kind of generalize or what are some things that you would want to tell people to make sure include these in your initial expenses if you're thinking about starting uh, particularly a brick and mortar? So, well, we should start from number one, which is number two and number three, which is location, right? Location, choosing the right location. (laughs) I said number one, two, and three because they say location, 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 right? True. So that that should be your main focus uh, right off the gate. And uh, if you cannot get the best location that you can afford at that time, because maybe you're just starting, so you know you're not going to be able to afford at all, even if you're taking some risk, that perfect location, then yes, fold for the second best location. But then you got to focus like crazy on all the rest, which is like the right merchandise, the right square footage for your business, the best deal possible that you can get from the landlord for the price because the overhead on rent is what is going to kill you probably within the first year because most stores close within a year and they could be because they're in the wrong location they're paying too much rent even if they're in the right location wrong merchandise wrong offer people don't like what you're what you're like selling to them and and many other little things bad management you know all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. 
And um, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but yes. since we're going to talk about how much it actually costs to start a business, meaning some of the business expenses to consider, yeah. you mentioned location, 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 which is like the number one rule, I believe, as well. So, what would you say constitutes the right location? Well, there is. It's kind of tricky because it depends a lot on the city that you're at, where you're trying to sell, and uh, yeah, and that's it, I think. So I think my answer also would be just, you know, generally, depending on what type of business, like you said, um, you actually have or service, um, would be really the foot traffic. You know, and also... Yes, yes, and no, and that's why I was formulating my answer to your question in the way that I was because we we've seen you know first person and I've seen it uh, myself by working in different cities in the United States in different states how that can be a good and a bad because you might have asked people do research yourself do marketing and everything for example in cities like Austin you go into some of the most prestigious malls in Austin or the, some of the high, highest trafficated streets in Austin, but not necessarily just because you, there's a lot of traffic is going to translate in a lot of people buying. We've seen firsthand that in many areas that just because we see a lot of people around, a lot of car parked in the parking lots, that doesn't necessarily translate in more retail sales. It translates in more people around the area, so there is a, there are more possibility to make sales. But if those people go to those locations just to eat, just to hang out, just to drink, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go and spend money in all the other retail stores that are there. Okay, so not to go off too much on this, but... Um, I think what you're trying to say is, you know, to look at first, yes, look at the traffic because I mean, it's pretty black and white. There's either traffic at the shopping center or there's no traffic. And if there's no traffic, it doesn't matter regardless if you're comparing it with traffic that's only there to eat. If there's no traffic, there's no traffic. That means you're going to have to bust, bust it's your butt. appeal for you're you. You're going to have to yeah, bust your butt to create. We've already been in this scenario where we had a crappy location and we busted our butts to do events every month. We exhausted ourselves and we're never, never able to really build up the type of momentum we needed. So if it doesn't have the traffic, you're at a disadvantage to begin with unless you already have a built-in clientele that will come to you at that location no matter what. The second thing is even if you have location, 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 your point is um, that, you know, just because you see the people doesn't mean that they're actually shopping. So, for instance, if you go to the domain in Austin, a lot of the people will go to the new part, if you're familiar with the domain, the north side. Um, and they will see it just, just swamped with people, especially on a weekend. It's just, especially on rock just flooded with people. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, you have to be there. That's the hot spot. We know as retailers, um, we're, not, we've seen- we're not talking about we're not going to talk about yeah. our direct experience at that particular location in the domain right now. But what we are going to talk about is our ability to determine if that will translate into sales. And one way to figure that out is to look at the bags to see if people are actually shopping because you can see a hundred people, but if they're not carrying the bags, that means they didn't actually buy anything. Also, right? also in the, in those kind of malls, since they're kind of outdoor malls and Austin, Texas, for example, it's really hot in the summer. And you know what I mean? There are some people that might go in and out. You know what I mean? They get there, they go to their, to their place and they leave. Right. 
But if you're there all day, you're going to catch those too. So you can get a, get a good comparison. You know what I mean? You can, you can get a good estimate between uh, how many people go there to just hang out or eat and drink versus the one that go there and shop and leave. But again, these are all marketing research that you got to do it before you want to open a shop. A hundred percent. So how the question that a lot of people ask is they're interested in this type of field is how much does it take to start a business? And by that, I think they mean like, Ooh, how much do you pay for rent? Which obviously no one's going to probably just tell you that information. No, but let, let's say let's, we're talking about Austin cause we're in Austin. Okay. Let's, let's, let's say in a prime location in Austin, you're going to pay anywhere between uh, 40 to $60 per square foot, everything included. I'm talking about after taxes, after, you know, not just the rent base, like all included, because a lot of people don't know there are a lot of these leases that have triple net or they have other kinds of like taxes, camp taxes, uh, you know, like a hidden cost. hidden cost, which are not very hidden, but you're going to see them once you sign the lease, obviously, right? But Hopefully. Sometimes <laughs> the leases are hard yeah. to read. Sometimes they're hard to read. That's why you always need a lawyer that oh, knows about yes. uh, lease, uh, commercial leases anyway. Close that parenthesis. Going back to the cost. Anywhere between 40 and $60 per square foot in the prime location, unless you're like downtown or South Congress, those areas are like, for a small business, I think they're like out of questions because they go anywhere between 80 and $90 per square foot, which is insane for Austin. Just thinking about today as 2019, those kind of prices, it's crazy because when I first moved there in 20, 2010 and I was looking for my first spot on South Congress for specifically the spot right next to Kendra Scott, actually her first store where the impeccable piggies right now. At that time they were asking uh, 30, $38 per square foot, which is, which is insane. Right now they're asking $80, $90 per square foot in like nearby the area, which anyway. Just to so put, put that, yeah, put that in consideration, 40 to $60 per square foot, all include, all included. Do that times the square footage of the store that you're looking at. And that's the cost that goes out of your pocket every month, no matter what, just for rent and taxes connected to the store. To that, add another between two to $350 for bills, meaning utilities, uh, you know, internet, all that kind of stuff. Uh, then add, uh, I don't know how many hours uh, per day you're going to be open, but add uh, at least anywhere between two and two and uh, $5,000 for payroll, depending how big your store is and uh, what kind of like industry you're in per month. per month. And those are your costs upfront. And then I don't know what kind of business you do. So I cannot tell you how much is going to be the cost of your merchandise, obviously, because I don't know how much who you're buying from wholesale or anything like that. So I can't tell you that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Inventory. Um, and I just and wanted to say, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to interrupt you earlier, but I was just going to say for people that are not listening, I just want to reiterate that we are in Austin, Texas. So these things, these numbers that he... And we're in retail. Yeah, he's spouting off. They're, they're, we know Austin because we live here in Austin, Texas. So wherever you live in your state or, or whatever is going to probably very a little bit because Austin is, is pretty hot anytime you're considering any type of retail 
commercial Plus, anything. Plus, I'm talking about prime locations. Yes. I'm not talking about round-down malls or, like, yes. areas outside Austin, like, very north, very south. Yeah. If you go to those places, you can find some good deals for $20, $25 per square foot, too. Yeah. And so inventory is really interesting because before I started the – brick and mortar business with Alex, I had always just worked for myself, whether it was having my own spa where I saw my own private clients. Um, I didn't only work for myself. I've worked a bazillion other jobs, including, um, you know, fran for franchises that, you know, where you do aesthetics and stuff like that. But what I mean is I've always worked for myself, even if I had those jobs. So I was a freelance makeup artist for a bazillion years. Fast forward to us opening a retail business, I had no idea what to expect. So one of the, the biggest eye-openers for me um, were just retail hours in general. If you have a retail business, you have to adhere to mall hours. So whoever is around you is who is who you are likely going to share hours with. If you have big, um, what do they call it, the big... Uh, the big like Macy's and stuff like that. But anchor department stores. stores. If you have anchor stores, usually they will set the tone for the hours that everyone is expected to be open. It will be in your lease. It will be a requirement. So if the mall opens at 10 o'clock, you have to open at 10 o'clock and it closes at 9 p.m. That's every single day, seven days a week. Maybe it's a shorter day on Sundays. All of the holiday hours are expected to be adhered to and in uniform with everybody else that's around you. So that was, you know, if you are not going to be physically present and working and even if you are the likelihood of having to have other employees is highly likely because there are so many things that you're going to need to do that people are not privy to as far as being I'm not talking about just an owner I'm talking about being the manager of a business too and operating a business you're going to have to have people that are working for you that are there to cover all of those hours that creates an expense inventory that he was talking about creates a massive expense if you're going to have beauty products, well, guess what? You're going to need to buy beauty products from multiple vendors to fill up every shelf of your store. It's going to look empty. If you are clothing, like Alex was bringing in clothing, you're talking about thousands <clears throat> of dollars. Every month. Every month. No so matter what. Even if you're selling all of them or not, you can never make the store look empty. And you always need to get new stuff in all the time. Correct. Because people notice that. You might think they don't, even if they're not the same people coming around, but people are going to notice it. the store, the mannequins, the windows, the, the, the racks, the shelves. They're going to start looking old. People are yep. going to tell. It's weird. I don't know how to explain it, but people can tell. You know what and I there's mean? There's a psychology, right? Yeah. It's like you want a new pair of shoes. You want an old pair of shoes. So you want to go back and you want to have an experience. You want it to be different than the last weekend you were there. So... Um, a, so good, a good uh, habit that I learned through the years uh, was to get new shipment every week. Even if it's a small one, uh, you know what I mean? Even if it's only four or five items per week. Some weeks could be, you know, maybe you get the big shipment because it's the, the in-between season kind of change of inventory that you do. But anywhere, any time between the seasons, I always try to get at least one shipment per week, which you can actually do that by, you know, talking to your, uh, to your wholesale accounts and ask them to spread out your orders. You know, they can always accommodate that for you in most cases. So just, sure. just be, be smart about it. And sure. in that way, you can always have new content to post on your social media, 
and uh, do shout outs, uh, you know, send it out to your to your VIP customers uh, so they can have a, a sneak peek of the new stuff right away. Yeah. So just do that because that is going to make your store look better because it's like, you know, every, every week there's something new coming in. Yeah, so you can't skimp on those costs. So there's all those costs, what he said, with the overhead, with the rent, with taxes, with inventory. Um, uh, the unexpected, sometimes in your lease, you if something breaks, it might be in your lease that you're the one that's expected to fix it and not uh, not the management company. Not the landlord, um, yeah. Not the landlord, right. There's just so many, like you have to kind of expect the unexpected as well. So, um, kind of moving on, just so that we can like cover the. the oh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't talk about one of the main things since we talk about opening a new location, new store, retail store in Austin. Yep. It's the if the it's if the space that you're getting needs some kind of like remodeling, oh. or it needs some kind of uh, or a complete makeover, or if it's a brand new location and it's like only a studs in it. You know what I mean? Yep. And you have to do a complete build out. So this kind of stuff, sometimes you can, uh, in most cases, uh, like it's pretty standard in American uh, commercial leases uh, that the landlord will give you some money, some TI improvements, tenant improvements money that you can use towards improving the space. But that's, that alone is a huge asshole. Yep. So basically what happens, TI, like you said, tenant improvement, sometimes the um, the if you go into a blank space and you have to build it out yourself, meaning you go in, in the space, maybe it was, who knows, it's either blank and it's new and you have to build it from scratch the way you want it. Or maybe it was a shoe store and now you have to turn it into a beauty store. Whatever the case is, you're going to need to do work in that store to convert it into whatever type of business is conducive to yours. So, um, what am I trying to say here? So the way that it works is you would, they would say, I'm just going to give you some random scenario. I'm and these are stuff negotiated. You yeah, can negotiate you can this ne- kind of negotiate stuff. This. And I'm going to use whole numbers. Let's say you go into a space and they're like, okay, yeah, we know you're going to, we know you're going to need to improve this space. So we're going to give you, I don't know, like five, ten dollars per square foot. I mean, right? we're yeah. just throwing out numbers. Yeah. It's always different. Yeah. We're going to give you 20, $20,000. Well, you know... $20,000 because let's say maybe it was, I don't know, 1500 square feet and they give yeah. you $5 per square foot. I'm just yeah. making... That would be yeah. 35000 sure. actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. well, we're just... I'm just I'm making just an example. Being really simple yeah. here. We're going to give you 20000 but we... But us, we know that we want to create this, this fashion and beauty store. We know from looking at it that we're going to need to put in forty grand, easily forty. Oh, we already talked to a more. contractor because he came yeah. and gave us an appraisal. Yeah, whatever you know, the reason is. Give us an estimate. We know that we're going to need to put in more. So if that's the case, how it works is you would have to front the entire, entire amount yes. of the money up front. And then once it's all said and done and you supply them with the paperwork and everything that they need that proves that these contractors did the work, only then, and probably 30 days from then, will they reimburse you for that 20000 But if you spent over the money allocated given for the TI, you would have you would be responsible for that. So that is a deterrent sometimes if you're a small business and you're looking at a location, just knowing that you have to like basically swallow all of this, all of these thousands of dollars up front. Especially that you're not yeah. gonna get back. Especially in home. Austin. Especially yeah. in Austin. Uh, because of the the boom that we have in in real estate, both commercial and uh, residential, it's really hard to find good 
uh, contractor that are free to work with for you. So and even hard. when you find them, it's going to take you twice the time that you put in budget to do it and more money because being so busy, they know they can ask whatever they want, you know. So, so it's very difficult let, yeah, let, let's, Yes, very hard to find the right ones too. And uh, let's say you find the right one, everything goes smoothly, and you, you really love this location, and it's a brand new location, uh, and meaning whenever you enter into the store, there are only studs there, you have to do everything. Maybe the landlord will give you a little bit more money, but be prepared that you're going to have to pay at least 50 to 60 grand to get the store turnkey ready, basically with a sign, with everything done, basically all said and done you're going to spend tons of money. So if you don't have those kind of money in budget or if the landlord won't deliver the space to you like like a naked space, like completely done when you can just go in and put your fixtures, you know what I mean? Unless he does that for you, be ready to, to spend tons of money. And that's not even, that's not even considering, you know, um, maybe you want a certain type of furniture that you're going to have to allocate for. Well, that's all um, extra. And that's all on you. And a hundred percent. You also signage signage is very expensive. And yeah, it, like a good sign in Austin, just because all the things we already talked about, like it, to find someone that makes you a very good sign, uh, meaning retro illuminated, uh, weatherproof, uh, assuming that you are outside. Sure. It's gonna, and you're going to have at least two signs because it's never one sign. You're going to have like a side sign and a front sign and whatever is the, it's going to cost you a very, like a good one that actually is going to catch people eye. It's going to cost you at least between three and $5,000. And and then let's talk about installation. Yes, my friends, it never ends. You're going to spend another five. Well, that, that, yeah, that you can, you can negotiate that within. If they're like honest people, you can negotiate that within the cost of the sign. I'm just saying. Hopefully, some true, of these sign places they expense. they do also installation because, because some of them don't. But sometimes you don't get like the last we've had multiple signs. The last sign we got, we didn't get it from the same people that hung it for us, and then it was an additional, however much money. Yeah, four hundred dollars. Yeah, three five hundred dollars just to get somebody to hang it. They didn't hang it exactly as we wanted it. We're screwed. Anyways, the list goes on. Have money, whatever it is. It wasn't just for any of that to, you know, connect the cables and do that kind of work. Otherwise, we sound stupid that we spend $300 for someone to go and get the sign. Let's be, you know what I mean? I'm sorry. I didn't explain it. Yeah, sorry. Someone might, if they hear us, might be like, well, you paid $300. I can call my cousin Joe and it will come and hang it for me. Yeah, the mall have very strict requirements on how to hang it. And who? to use and yeah so you have to consider that as well so yeah. anyways the list goes on i feel like it's almost like the rule when you make a film they always say you budget for the film and then you double double it yeah. <laughs> almost feel like with the retail business it's close it's kind of the same yeah. thing they're hidden costs yeah and uh, things that might happen uh, yeah. that you don't expect that you gotta face and let's say you gotta have uh, some uh, some uh, some money at hand for extra for ex, you know for like emergencies budget it in so always budget at least fifteen thousand dollars more if you can yep so um hopefully we've answered a lot of questions about like startup costs for brick and mortar if you have any other questions you can always um yeah how, how can they ask us other questions on the well, podcast they, 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 yeah they can, can make a comment yeah right? they can comment on the podcast <laughs> so make a comment on uh, your youtube video there you and go. ask something about there, that there are numerous ways you can reach us on social yeah. media oh 
these are just estimates, okay? Of these course. are just estimates. They're just like, you know, average stuff that we've seen through the years in Austin. Yes. So everybody experience can be different. So you could have like, you can, you can be you, your dad, your cousin, some friends. You might have someone that can help you so you can do most of the work yourself and save tons of money. In our situation, we didn't have anybody or we couldn't do this kind of work ourselves, especially because we were working inside the mall, which yeah. has a lot of requirements, requires a lot of uh, contractors that have uh, all kinds of licensing, all kinds of permits, all kinds of insurance, uh, and dumpsters, ready to be used in case you need to like do some kind of demo or like re, re, repurpose, repurposition, repurpose. repurpose, sorry, repurpose of the location that you, that you picked out. So, you know what I mean? We're just talking in I mean, general. I'm going to tell one quick, very, very quick story, I promise. And then I want to move on to the other questions. So we have time to talk about these other things today, but um, just always, uh, make sure before you spend money that if you are if you are going into a mall or something you you definitely do get permission and in writing is preferred. We were at our one of our locations for Katani Clothing and Beauty Bar, and we had only verbally um, let them know that we would be offering some beauty services, and we actually used money out of our own pocket to create this aesthetics room. And we used it for, I don't know how many months before we were verbally informed that there were other businesses that had come in after us that had signed exclusivity agreements saying that no one else within that little area could perform these services. So we had to do like the cease and desist type of thing. <laughs> and then basically lost our whatever it was between well, with everything in the room between a thousand and two thousand, because we had this whole space paint, fresh paint. We like laid down like a new little floor in this area. We created a whole, you know, aesthetics room with a table and equipment. So we were just out that money in like two seconds of someone telling us that. Um, so we were at the mercy of the lease agreement because it was not in the lease agreement. So before you go and spend money on your uh, this on your location that is not yours to begin with make sure that you get written approval so yeah get covered on uh, we learn from mistakes yeah, right hopefully mistakes. so get covered about anything on the lease if yeah. there is not if it's not in the lease don't assume that you can do it right. just it doesn't ask exist. to add it in the lease uh, put it in the lease put it on writing especially when you're dealing with like big groups or more Yep, 100%. Entities. So yeah. the next thing that we get got, get asked a lot is, um, is, you know, what is the hardest part of having a brick and mortar store or like, you know, what is, what is it like to operate your business online? So I'm kind of like merged the two questions that we get all together. And I just want to talk about kind of what the difference is between brick and mortar and online, first of all, because they're completely day and night. Whenever we had our brick and mortar. Two different beasts. Yeah, completely different. When I had, we had our brick and mortar business, we did not have the time or the resources to put into the online business. So when we, our lease ended at the beginning of this year, and since then we've been in between brick and mortar locations, kind of searching for that perfect location that we have not found yet. Again, and since then, we've been putting our time and resources into building the online store, which is completely different. 
and also starting wholesale for Gentry Quinn makeup and skin. Again, completely different from just selling directly in retail. So I can give you my answers, but Alex, what do you think is the, the, what do you think is the biggest difference uh, in having brick and mortar versus online? Well, like you said, there are many differences. The, one of the main uh, thing that I, right off the bat is how you interact with people. You technically have a, an unlimited audience of people online, technically meaning because, you know, you're always going to have your own demographic because, you know, there's always going to be that kind of people, blah, 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 blah. But it, it's way, way, way more difficult to get in front of people, even if there's so many more people potentially that you can reach because of the, the kind of niche market that you're in. You know what I mean? You're going to have to go and find them through marketing, through, through the right uh, social media engagement posts that you do, and uh, through... Uh, SEO, which is like search engine optimization, uh, which is built into your website and through optimizing your website. For example, I'm giving you an example. When someone comes into the store, right, she picks up the, the dress. Let's say this flower dress. She picks it up. She puts it up. Then, okay, she's to her. To her. To her body. She looks at it. She touched the fabric. Right. And then she's like, okay, I want to try this on. And you start a fear room for her. She tries it on. She takes her time. She comes out. She asks your opinion. You give her your opinion. You have an interaction with this person. Then she loves it. She doesn't love it. If she loves it, she ends up buying it. She leaves happy with her new purchase. If she doesn't like it, she puts it back. And maybe she starts looking at something else. And then she maybe buys something else. She might not. And then maybe when she's buying something else at the checkout, she might pick up like a necklace or a pair of earrings or some other accessories from the local artists that we carry in our store in the brick and mortar version of it. Okay. Now, online, think about it. You go on a website, you click on a picture. First of all, you look at the picture. Depending who is wearing what, you're like, okay, that person is not my body type. How is it going to fit on me? Then you go look. Oh, okay. She's wearing a small and she's 5'7". Uh, and then you're like, well, well I'm a small, but she looks, I don't know, a little bit skinnier than me or a little bit bigger than me. Is it going to fit the same way it fits on her or me? And again, what kind of fabric it is? It looks like it's light fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you put that in the description. Uh, maybe you put, you, let's say you, you have the best descriptive uh, information for that dress right for that flower dress okay after that she goes maybe it's a brand new maybe it's maybe it's like a brand new uh, item that you just got in there is zero reviews this person online people there is an estimate that 80 percent of the people online buy because they see reviews from other people let's say you just got that in because we're a small store right we get new stuff every week this person just just came on the website right after we uploaded, the day before we uploaded. There's no reviews. Is she going to trust this website that is not very known? When you are like at the domain or in Austin, your store, they see you. You're physically there. They know that if something goes wrong, they can come back and talk to you, call you, exchange, you know, whatever is the case. Trust. 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 But when you're one of the thousands, millions of e-commerce stores online and you don't have like a huge presence yet because you just started 
and there's no reviews for that particular item that you like, that is going to put some doubt into the person because she doesn't have proof that, number one, you're legit. Number two, that this dress is actually good as it looks in the picture. And number three, it's going to feel right. So we already addressed. You're at a disadvantage. We're already at a disadvantage in a way, even if a lot of people make impulse buying online and uh, especially from the big chains uh, or the the most trusted store that they already know about, they do impulse buying. But then also as another negative effect, there is almost a 30% return rate in retail online. Versus on, uh, versus on brick and mortar, which is only 7 8%. Thank God, uh, online for us so far, we only have about like between 8 and 10% return rate, which is pretty low. Maybe because we're still small, we're growing. You know what I mean? We don't have huge volumes like, I don't know, Free People right. or like Lulu's.com, other big website, right? So maybe, hopefully, once we get to those big numbers or close to those big numbers, we'll, our return rate will increase, which... It creates a whole other issue because uh, if you want to be very aggressive and very competitive, you have to give either free shipping over a certain amount of money or very low shipping rates below a certain amount of money, right? And that cost, you're going to absorb that cost. And most, in most of the times, uh, in, in most of the times, uh, you, you're going to, most of the times you're going to go and you're going to uh, offer them free return if they want to exchange something, Right. If you wanna, if you wanna offer them free return, then you're gonna pay for their return. Add all these costs up at the end of the year, and unless you have huge margins in your uh, in your in your business model, you're not gonna be able you're not gonna be able to you know you're gonna start losing money. You're not gonna be able to make that much profit. But on the price side, you don't have the overhead yes. of a retail store yes. of employees. And of uh, all kinds of stuff that can happen when you have a retail store. So, you know, there's pros and cons. And overall, I would say that if you have a good business model and you put up a successful business model, online is the way to go these days because it's only going to grow and it's only going to get, you know what I mean? Most of the stores are only going to go online and only, only 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 the last few, I don't, I don't know. The last few dinosaurs are going to have only a retail, a retail location, just brick and mortar. Like, I feel like within 10 years, every single business is going to have online and the one that can afford it will still have a brick and mortar location. But, yeah. yeah, I think that's some, those were some really, really great points. You gave a really broad overview. And we just scratched the surface. Yeah, here. it's a very broad overview. We could go, we could, we could like zone in on any one of those topics and have an entire podcast, probably multiple ones on each topic. But today we're just kind of like generally wanting to give you guys an idea of, you know, if you're thinking about starting a business, kind of like what to take into consideration as far as cost goes. And then also kind of like if you're thinking, well, should I maybe consider brick and mortar versus online? Just giving you an idea of like kind of what to expect, pros and cons wise. And, uh, and then also I wanted to touch on retail versus wholesale because for, for the majority of my, my, you know, uh, my life with retail, I've been selling beauty products direct, right? From our store. And that is completely different from wholesale, which would be 
you, one of you guys out there that has a product and that wants to come into a store like mine and sell retail. Well, now we're starting to sell Ginger Pen Makeup and Skin uh, into other stores. So I'm having to consider wholesale costs, which is a completely different ball game. And I'm going to, I promise you, do a podcast just on creating wholesale, um, the wholesale experience uh, for your business if that is a dream of yours, because you're going to need to consider the cost of the product. Um, you're going to have to price things correctly to make a profit, create breakdowns, make sure that your, your cost of goods is multiplied, you know, by 2.5 and your wholesale is multiplied 2.4, etc. So, um, today really what I wanted to touch on is if you are someone that's coming into a brick and mortar store, um, maybe kind of like the etiquette or maybe how to get your foot in the door, because I know how it is from both ends. I know from being inside of the retail store and having people come in, if they come in unannounced with their full line of jewelry or clothing or whatever it is, yeah. um, it's really, I mean, I don't mean to sound insensitive because if you knew me and Alex, you would know the last thing we are is like, like insensitive. We're like, we're like overly like nice in my opinion. Sometimes we let people take up our time when maybe we shouldn't. Um, maybe we shouldn't have. And so when people come in unannounced, it just makes you, it puts you, if you are a nice person in this really awkward position of having to stop whatever you're doing. So it's kind of like slightly annoying because maybe you need to make an important phone call or send an important email, or maybe you're paying a bill or whatever it is. And now you're having someone unannounced come in. You don't want to be rude, but you don't have time. So my recommendation would be if you are someone that's trying to sell your wholesale product is to try to reach out first. Try to send an email. If they don't respond, do a follow-up email. If they don't respond, maybe make a phone call and try to get in touch with someone. Ask if maybe you can stop by, drop off some free samples. These are all of the things I'm doing now um, to get into other retailers so I can, again, tell you a little bit about it from both ends. Um, maybe you hire a sales rep if you're lucky and have someone help you. Um, also I just want, I would just like to kind of leave you with be nice and respectful. I'm going to tell you a story and I'm not going to mention names and it's going to be a short story, but it'll get my point across. I had someone reach or, or I don't know who reached out to who first, but there was a product I was considering, considering selling at Katani Clothing and Beauty Bar. I really liked the product. I thought it could be a really good fit. It was, we were approaching holiday season. And so I had spoken with this person uh, before in person about bringing the product in. They had given me a sample and I wanted to use that sample, but a couple of weeks went by and without getting into details as to why I didn't use the sample, um, I didn't use the sample, but I had my own good reasons as to why I didn't use the sample or had not. And it wasn't that I was putting it off because I didn't want to get around, around to it or didn't want to get back to this person. And then I had like, a, it was kind of like, it was a family emergency. There was a death in the family. Let's just say that this person completely didn't know this at all. Um, but I just was like, basically without going into details, just like this person, Hey, I'm sorry. I haven't had a chance to use the sample yet. I promise I'll get to it soon. Well, I guess they got frustrated with me and basically spat me off uh, a message uh, be, and they were frustrated in the message telling me, Oh, I don't, it's okay. Don't worry about carrying my product. I don't basically, 
Um, I basically want to carry a pro my product in stores who want to like help me get my product out and, and spread the word. And basically like as if I didn't have time or wouldn't have done that for her product. Well, I guess the offensive part to me was that as a small business owner and someone where, you know, like 75% of our business is supporting other local business people. Um, I guess I just felt like sad and offended that someone would be accusatory um, by, you know, suggesting that we wouldn't be promoting the product and that's why they weren't they were interested in us carrying it anymore. And furthermore, I just thought it was disrespectful because um, honestly, I don't owe anyone anything. Like I, as a business owner, we spend thousands of dollars a month for rent and, and I just, I don't, I don't know, owe anyone anything. If we try a product, it's because we genuinely want to try the product because we believe it's a good fit. If it takes me two weeks or two months, then I feel like that's my right because you don't know the financial situation I'm in. You don't know the other brands I have commitments with. You don't know my schedule. Anyways, um, I just felt like it was a really um, disrespectful way to respond to me. And so then I just let that person know in a very nice way, hey, I, I, this is not the case. I, um, I'm sorry I've had these emergencies come up. I haven't had a chance to use a product. I really was going to use the product, but I understand you feeling that way. That was basically my response. Still very nice. Then that person proceeded to respond to me, oh, I'm sorry. I just thought that basically you were trying to put me off because I've had so many other retailers kind of do that to me, say, oh, we'll carry your product, and then they don't end up carrying it. Well, at that time, I had no experience with wholesale business from, you know, from that, from that person's perspective, because I had never tried to sell my products to other retailers before. I was only looking at it from a retailer's perspective of being the, the owner of the brick and mortar. But now that I've had a chance to reflect, and as I'm telling the story, I'm thinking about the way that I would respond to people, the way that I would communicate with people trying to get JQ into uh, any, anywhere, a store. And I just think that that is the absolute worst business practice that you could ever fall under is to, um, is to say something disrespectful to someone because they might not be considering carrying your product, whether that be the truth or not. I have literally sent boxes of new products to people that I thought were really, really good candidates that I had a really great um, chance of getting into that have emailed me back saying, I'm sorry, we're just, we're not looking at carrying these products right now. And guess what? I mean, I feel deflated for a couple of minutes and then I go and respond to them. Thank you so much for trying my products. Thank you so much for giving me the chance. Maybe we can work together in the future because guess what? Maybe you can, you, you never want to shut any doors. Maybe you can work with them in the future. And also how can I be offended that my products aren't going, aren't the right fit for someone at this moment? So now that I'm able to look at it from both perspectives, I would just encourage you, regardless of the response or lack of response you get from retailers, um, if it's in your nature to be a go-getter, just don't give up. Um, maybe if you keep going after the same people or places or city or whatever, trying to get your product into that place and it's not working, as my mentors have told me before, maybe it's not the right place, maybe it's not the right city. 
Um, but all you can do is try, but definitely don't do yourself a disservice by, you know, ever being rude to someone or ever expecting things from someone. Um, these businesses, these small businesses have more going on than you can ever imagine, especially with the climate and the way that things are shifting now. Businesses are closing down left and right. There's a lot of stresses that people don't know about, especially when they're coming in from the outside, you know, just in their bubble of trying to sell like their product. So um, I would just encourage you to be mindful of that and respectful. And, you know, there have been products where honestly it wasn't the right time or maybe we didn't have it in the budget to carry those products, but we really liked that person and we liked the product. So maybe we remembered them and went back and carried them at a later time or, or made a bigger purchase when we could. So moral to the story is just do not um, don't close any doors for yourself or slam any doors for yourself like that. You'll be doing a disservice to yourself. Um, and it, at the very least you want people to look at you in a good light, to have good feelings about you and to help you spread the word about your products. Maybe, maybe, you know, I know that for Alex and I, we just from being business owners or having, you know, being, having brick and mortars, we know so many people that have businesses in Austin and we talk and if we like something we will tell we will talk about it so maybe if we weren't something wasn't a good fit for our store maybe we would be talking to another business owner and be like hey you should check out this person yeah their price point <clears throat> isn't right for us or their products aren't right for us but it would go great in here yeah and word of mouth is so powerful would you agree? I agree hundred percent. And I, I mean, I am, uh, other people are not, but I am all about helping other small businesses succeed uh, because the, the, the stronger the small business community is in a city, the stronger the city is going to be, the stronger the economy is going to be in that city. And the more unique and different the offer is going to be for the people. Because I mean, I, I mean, to be honest with you, Austin is turning into another Dallas or Houston if it keeps going at this rate. And, all the uniqueness and beautiful stuff that Austin is known for is going to be is going to be lost. So I'm all about supporting local businesses and and giving them a chance, you know, to earn your business. And and also and with, collaborate between them. Yes, and I'm just to add on to that note. I want to encourage people to support local businesses if they really appreciate the unique items that those businesses carry or offer. Like put your dollar where your mouth is because um, if you don't, there's no way that th those small businesses will survive. And I guarantee you whenever you need, you know, a gift raffle or ra uh, whatever, a raffle for your, your event or some money for your fundraiser or a donation of clothes for your nonprofit, whatever it is like we, for your school we literally yeah. get hit up even now that we don't have the brick and mortar right now we get hit up for a donation i would say an average of once a week maybe more but an average of once a week yeah. and it about 90 percent of the time there are very few times where we do not we do not give them something even if we can't even if we're struggling we always try to donate and give back and i guarantee you most of your small businesses do the same thing so you support them whether you support them or not they're always supporting you so i would just encourage you 
to think about that when you make your purchase on Amazon like we all do. But I'm just saying, if you have the opportunity to buy from a small if, business. If there is something you cannot get that is not mass produced that you can get anywhere like Walmart, Target, Amazon, yeah. whatever. Even if you have to spend one or two dollars more, if you can, obviously, if you're on a budget, we understand and everything. But if you can, one or two dollars more or three dollars more, please try to shop local, shop a small business, and even look at the label, look at what you're getting. Because most of the times, even if it's something that you can find on Amazon for two dollars less, the product that you're gonna buy in the small local business can be handmade. You can be giving business not just to the guy that sells it, but to the guys that makes it too. So you're helping two people at the yeah. same time. And let's say both of these people have families. You're helping two families to put food on their table. And I'll tell you this. The next time someone needs a donation for their school or fundraiser or nonprofit, they're not they're less likely, let's just say less likely to get it from uh, Target or Walmart or whatever these huge bass corporations. Nothing wrong with shopping, the, shopping there. I'm just saying um, – if you can appreciate what we're, the message we're giving you, please consider supporting your local businesses, not just, not just people that sell clothes and makeup and stuff like we do, but, um, you know, people that have, uh, that have, uh, services and sell food and ice cream and all kinds of stuff. Um, gelato. Yeah. <laughs> gelato. If you're in Austin, go to Dolce Neve. It's our favorite pastime. Uh, or Lucky's or Lucky's Pucha. Uh, the trailer that's on six West six, West Fifth. West Fifth. West Fifth. Right across from Whole Foods. Yeah, at the tiniest bar in Texas. Yeah, so cool. Um, we could tell you guys, give you guys a long list of local businesses, yes. but they're not hard to find in Austin, Texas, and that's why we do yeah. love Austin is because they do take so much um, into consideration with community and and stuff like that and loving their community and keeping Austin weird, but... And local. And local. We're totally run out of time, and I'm sure we've gone over today those uh, bullet points we wanted to go over. We want to thank you so much for joining us on this special Beauty Aside edition of More Beautiful Together with Gentry and Alex. And we will um, talk with you guys again soon. Ciao. Ciao.